Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> Bonnie in the house. Welcome, 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 welcome. I just love hearing that intro. That's the voice of my partner in crime, my co-producer, Aaron Treasure. I'm sorry, it's Ryan Treasure. My engineer is Aaron Keller. They're both at Voice America, World Talk Radio, the business channel. I just love the way Ryan sounds on that. So let's see what our topic is today. I have a buzz quote to open the show from DigitalGuardian.com. Let me read this and it'll set us up really nicely. And this is targeted at all of you in our global listening audience. So listen up. Passwords are an integral component of security hygiene. But beyond password strength requirements, it's largely a user-driven initiative. What does that mean? That means you're on your own. Whatever you do, that's what it is. So how is your password hygiene? I'm talking to all of you around the world. I don't want to get personal, but passwords are our first line of protection against, ooh, the bad actors, the cyber criminals. So your password health matters. I read part of the survey by Digital Guardian. They talked to 1,000 people about their password security habits or their hygiene. Let me throw a couple stats out and then we'll introduce our panelists today. 44% of those surveyed change their passwords once a year or less. Hmm. 11% never change their passwords. Are you one of the guilty ones? I may be, so you're in good company. 20% had already experienced online account compromise. The research didn't say whether it was a major breach or a personal breach, but it was there. How about this? 70% had 10 or more password-protected accounts online, and nearly 30% had, quote, too many to count. I'm one of those. Dozens and dozens and dozens. In the U.S., the average email address is associated with, wait for it, 130 accounts. Oh, my. And one thing about hacking passwords, cracking them, there are tools like something called John the Ripper and social engineering that manipulate us into divulging our confidential information. What does this all mean? Our topic today is pathetic versus powerful passwords, your hackable future. (laughs) Bonnie D. Graham, welcome. I have four experts. I'm meeting them for the first time today, and I'm very excited to have them on. Let me read their names and their companies, and then I'll ask each of them to introduce themselves for two minutes each. So here we go. Matt Beckard in a minute from NPI. Welcome, Matt. We have Eric Crone at NoB4, K-N-O-W, capital B, lowercase e, the number four. We have Mike De Palma from Datto, and we have Alex Reed at Green Cloud Technologies. Welcome, gentlemen. Let's start this party with Matt Beckert. Matt, please spend about two minutes telling us who you are, what you do, and what does this topic mean to you? Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I'm a I'm an IT professional, 15 years of experience in the industry. You know, I work uh, at MPI. We do um, technology management um, services. And, you know, passwords and security is just ingrained in our day-to-day life, whether we're talking about our personal life or whether we're talking about our business life, right? It's, it's become a, a requirement to kind of have some sort of um, knowledge in the in the realm of, of security, if you will, just because of how connected we are. So, you know, it's it's definitely something that's near and dear to my heart, and that we continuously try to help our customers understand how important these kinds of things are. And and frankly, it's just going to keep getting more and more important as we go. So. Thank you very much, Matt. Pleasure to have you on. I have to do a shout-out to Dawn McGinnis, who helped put this panel together. And I know one of your colleagues, Eric Hart, was going to be on the show, and he got busy, so you're replacing him. Thank you, Matt, and welcome. Let's move around the table. One C to Eric Crone. He spells his last name K-R-O-N. Eric, welcome. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, So, yeah, my name is Eric Crone, and and I work with a company called Know Before. And what we do is we deal with... uh, um, end user training, so security awareness training and simulated phishing. And in that space, uh, one of the things we really concentrate on is dealing with the passwords. That is so key these days. Uh, my background is in 
everything from medical to uh, I worked for the DOD for about 10 years uh, in security. I've been in uh, healthcare. I've been in manufacturing. And it doesn't really matter the industry that you're in. Uh, I keep seeing problems happening. And it comes back to many times people giving up their password or using a password that's in a well-known list, right? Mm -hmm. The big joke being, uh, you know, my password is 1234. Um, and, and that being so common, right? And if you look at every year, they, they release the list of uh, top common passwords. They really don't change that much. We keep going on and on. And you look at these, and it's kind of disheartening for some of us security professionals. I'm sure the others will, will agree with this. Uh, but when we see those and, and how simplistic the top reused passwords are for people over and over again, um, uh, that's just something that uh, that. Drives me a little mm-hmm. crazy, frankly, and, and is a source of a lot of trouble. I agree. And that's why in my intro, I said that is really a user-driven initiative in my quote from Digital Guardian. Just briefly, Eric, did you agree with the statistics? Were there any surprise to you, the ones I mentioned in my opening? No, it's, it didn't surprise me at all. It's kind of the same numbers we've been seeing for a while here. Uh, it's disheartening, but not surprising. Yeah. Yep, there you go. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Thank you. Mike De Palma, you're up next. Please tell us who you are and what you do. All right, thank you. So my name is Mike De Palma. I am uh, the channel development manager at Datto. So we're a business continuity disaster recovery company uh, based up in Connecticut. Uh, my role is a little unique. So I, basically my whole entire role is to travel throughout North America. Uh, I present in industry events as well as a lot of uh, you know specific vertical events as well as just simple lunch and learns and seminars and things like that. Um, you know, we are somewhat of the last line of defense in terms of mm-hmm. all of your layers of security fail. Um, you know, we're the last line of defense. But a lot of times I'm on these panels doing educational pieces, and all of this starts with user training. Um, to give a little unsolicited plug to Eric there, we actually use No Before here at Datto. Um, mm-hmm. But it really all boils down to most of these criminals when they get in, it's either a password compromise or one of those phishing emails that we hear about all the time. Oh, yeah. um, so that's why I'm glad that you've picked this topic because, uh, you know, people just fall into this false sense of security that, uh, you know, I could use this same password I've been using since college or things like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it leaves everyone on the individual basis but also on the, on the corporate level very vulnerable. So looking forward to this. Thank you, Mike. I'm looking at the pictures of my four guests. Alex, I'm going to get to you in a second, and I'm thinking that Eric and I might be in maybe the same demographic cohort, they call it, and I'm thinking that Mike and Alex and Matt, using the same passport since college, might be just a few years ago with with me. It would be in another century. So, Eric, don't say a word. Please don't say a word, I promise. Uh, Alex Reed, you're next. Please tell us who you are, what you're doing. What is GoGreenCloud.com and GreenCloud Tech? Talk to me. Alex. Sure. So uh, I'm the technical writer on the product management team at GreenCloud. Uh, we are a cloud hosting provider, uh, secure cloud services based out of uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Mm. Um, I work out of Atlanta, a little bit south of there. Uh, so I head up the, uh, the writing side of the product management team where I produce a bunch of documentation, uh, manage the knowledge base, You know, pretty much any external facing documents that go out, uh, I have my hand in. Um, and I also do you know, some some uh, published articles, uh, you know, things like that. But pretty much anything we submit to uh, to other outlets. And as far as security goes for us, you know, it's, it's security has been a fundamental concern since our inception uh, in all of our product architectures, uh, all of our you know data center designs. Security is our primary concern. Just making sure everything is compliant and secure. Uh, in my personal life, you know, I I started. Uh, doing cloud stuff in 2013, but I've been paranoid and security-minded since way before that. Um, <laughs> you know, I keep my personal security at a, actually a higher standard than the than my uh, my work dictates, where I use a physical key for my own personal stuff. I've always been very uh, worried about <laughs> my own uh, security being compromised. Uh, so this is this topic's very near and dear to my heart, both professionally and personally. Thank you very much, Alex. I sense a passion, a common passion among all four of my wonderful panelists for this topic. And I think this show might be hopefully a wake-up call to people that we all have responsibility for our own. There's nobody sitting here, as far as I can tell in my office here, my home broadcast office, nobody sitting here saying, 
Bonnie, when was the last time you changed your passwords? Are you writing them down? Are you keeping them interesting? Are you keeping them complex? Are you aware of the possibility of being fished, scammed, spammed, and hacked? Nobody's saying that to me and nobody's saying that to anybody else in the listening audience unless they're in a company that is trying to educate and that might be what some of you are doing. Thank you, gentlemen, for your introductions. Appreciate that. Uh, by the way, your phone lines are all wonderfully clear and we, we appreciate that too. Let's go around the table now. This is the part of the show I'm addressing my audience where I have asked my panelists to send me a quote in advance, a quote that on the surface has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And this is kind of an icebreaker. And then I'm going to ask them on air after I read the source, background information on the attribution for the quote. I'll read the quote and then ask each of them to explain how they picked the quote and in two minutes time approximately, and guys, we're not throwing you off if you go more than two minutes, it's just a time, a, a guidance, uh, how, how the quote has to do with our topic. That's the fun part. We want to hear you articulate that. So Matt Beckert at NPI. And by the way, Matt, what does NPI stand for? Please tell me. Uh, yeah, so uh, NPI stands for Network Performance Incorporated. Thank you very much. Just wanted to clear that up. Okay. Uh, Matt sent me a quote from Gary V. Gary Vaynerchuk, a very, very famous guy. His full name, Russian name, is Gennady Vaynerchuk. He's a young man born in 1975. I'm allowed to call him very young. He's a Belarusian-American entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and Internet personality. He first started out as a wine critic. His dad had a business, a wine business in New Jersey, and Gary got involved with promoting it online, and boom, it just took off. He's best known for his work in digital marketing and social media. He's the chairperson of the New York-based communications company, VaynerX, V-A-Y-N-E-R-X, and he's CEO of VaynerX subsidiary, VaynerMedia. Here is the quote from Gary V that Matt has selected. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. I like that. Matt, what does that have to do with our topic today, please? Yeah, so, you know, Gary V, he's, he's extremely interesting to me, you know, outside of the IT world, if you will. I, I keep an eye on him and what he's doing. And he just always seems to be no-nonsense, straight shooting, looking towards the future, you know, taking the big picture view and not worrying necessarily about one decision on the micro level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this quote, I think, really kind of is, is a easy easy way to sum it up, which is if, if you're doing the right thing, then you're always just doing the right thing. And that can be applied to anything, right? So Mm -hmm. whether it's um, security, um, whether it's, you know, your personal life, your business life, making decisions about, you know, what you're going to do next. If if you can determine what the right thing is, that's what you need to do, right? So in the realm of security, Mm -hmm. people are telling you, people are trying to educate you to not reuse passwords, to not you know, write your passwords on a sticky note and stick it under your keyboard to not use weak and insecure passwords like the word password or the number one, two, three, four, five, six. If you do that, that's obviously not the right thing and you're really just setting yourself up for trouble. So, you know, taking the time, you know, putting some, some thought into it, having good structure, doing the right thing, you're going to succeed in the long run. This is a very foundational topic when, when we talk about security and passwords that if you're not doing the right thing there it's gonna it's gonna have a domino effect on everything else that you you try to accomplish so thank you very much matt very interesting and we love quotes from gary v i'm going around the table to eric crone for our next quote and eric has sent us a, a biblical quote from matthew 634 niv which is the new international version and this is this is from i believe eric i'm allowed to say this the gospel according to matthew called also called the gospel of matthew or simply matthew first book of the new testament and one of the three synoptic gospels it talks about how israel's messiah and i'll let it go from there here is the quote very interesting therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble on its own eric interesting quote tell me about it please yeah so this, this is one that uh, it's kind of a mantra of my own you know whether you're uh, you know religious or not it, it's a great it's a great way to think about this right um we worry about tomorrow, and I know we're on a t- show talking about the future, but, but the mm-hmm. problem and the way that I see this relate here is we, we're, we're doing all these things for tomorrow. We're doing a lot of technology. We're, we're throwing all this stuff around, um, but we have a fundamental problem today, which is not being solved. 
So mm-hmm. I, I'm very much a person that believes that the foundation has to be fixed before we, we keep piling things on top of it, right? And so what we have going on today and what we've actually had going on for quite a while that we have never fixed to, to begin with is a human problem. Mm-hmm. And this is the human problem of, of getting people to realize the importance of doing things with passwords, not reusing passwords, things like this. Before we continue to, to add on more technology and, you know, we, we change the rules on people as well. So yep. we, we come out with these things where we're going, well, we need, uh, you know, a strong password. It's got to be this many characters. And then we have guidance that comes back that says, well, you know what, what we said about that isn't right either. Uh, we need to do passphrases now, and we're, we're changing guidance on stuff on people, um, and, and we're we're looking in the future, and that is okay. We can't worry too much about that, though, until we have our house sorted now, and, and that's the problem that I think we have is we still have a human um, problem with how they see password management, account securing the the very human part of sharing passwords with other people and coworkers and things like that. We can put all the technology and all the, the crazy future stuff that we want to in place, but if they hand a, a post-it note to their coworker with the username and password, we still have that problem now. And that's a mentality thing that we have now that, that we need to really focus on before, in many cases, we try to do too much more moving forward. Thank you, Eric. Very good points. And the whole point of this show, I like to, I'll say at the end of the show, and I'll say it now, is that the future of now hasn't happened yet because we're right now in the now, so we're all part of making that happen. We're part of making that happen and a better future. I just found out my mouse battery is low. Let's see if we can get me through the show. So, uh, thank, and by the way, Eric, do you remember the oat bran? A craze many years ago, we were told the rules have changed and you have to eat oat bran to get your cholesterol down. Then we were told not to eat eggs. Then we were told to eat eggs again. Do you remember all those those changing of the oh, rules, absolutely. Eric? I yeah, thought absolutely. so. I don't think anybody on the panel besides you and me would remember that. They just keep changing <laughs> the damn rules. Mike DePalma, you're up next. Mike has sent us a wonderful quote from Walt Disney. Walter Elias Disney, December 1901 to December 1966. American entrepreneur, animator, voice actor, and film producer. He introduced developments in the production of cartoons. He holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by any individual. 22 Oscars out of 59 nominations. Oh, my. Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. Here's the quote. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Mike DePama, talk to me. Quote, interesting. All right. Well, first and foremost, I have a six and an eight-year-old, so Walt Disney is basically all I live and breathe when I'm at home. Uh, but this is a quote I actually have on the back of my business card. Uh, both to motivate yourself. You know, everybody gets the, into the weeds of, you know, saying I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and they never do it. Um, but in terms of what we're talking about today, beyond, you know, how it would apply to future technologies, I'm thinking about password protection as we start to go through this. And what happens all the time, there's folks listening to this, this podcast right now, or you mm-hmm. go to a seminar, you go through a training, you leave this, this conversation, you say, I'm going to go make a change. I'm going to go to my desk, I'm going to change my passwords, I'm going to get into the habit of doing these things, and then a week goes by, two weeks go by, and it's no longer top of mind and you fall back into the same old ways of doing things. Um, you know, we talk about security a lot in the world that I'm in, and mm-hmm. I always look for examples. And if anybody remembers just a couple years back, that, fa- that uh, kind of scare where uh, we thought Hawaii was under attack, right, because the money hit the oh, wrong yes. button. And that was a crazy story, right? Uh, right? Worldwide news. But, but what I took away from it, they, they interviewed the guy who actually was falsely accused of being the, the one in the in-house IT team that hit the wrong button. But they interviewed him, and they showed him at his desk. And this is their in-house IT expert, right? Mm-hmm. And he's at his desk, and he's talking. And if you zoom in to the picture, you could see a little sticky note with his password <laughs> on his computer. And this Get is the in-house out. IT guy. Oh so you God. think that you're, you know, you think you're doing all the right things, but the idea here is hopefully you take away some of these thoughts, but not just something to think about and you go talk about at the dinner table, actually make these changes. Because again, the first line of defense is always uh, you, right, the end user. And so there's little things you could do that make it easier, but you actually have to do them. You can't just say, hey, this is something I'm going to do tomorrow. Do it right away. 
Thank you. Lots of words of wisdom and words of warning there, Mike. Appreciate it. And then enjoy your, your Disney years with your kids. <laughs> My grandchildren in college. Let's just leave that one alone. What can I tell you? What can I tell you? Alex Reed, you're up next. Alice, Alex has sent us a quote from Mark Z. Danieluski, I think it's pronounced, a young man born in 1966, American fiction author, widely known for his debut novel, House of Leaves, back in 2000, which won the New York Public Library's Young Lions Fiction Award. His second novel, Only Revolutions, six years later, was nominated for the National Book Award. He began work, this is interesting, he began work on a proposed 27-volume series called The Familiar. He did five volumes, and he said, ah, that's enough. I'm not going to do it anymore in 2017. Interesting that that goes in his Wikipedia bio. Here's the quote from Mark Z. Danieluski. Do not entrust your future to the limits of your stride. Alex, help me with this. What does this all mean? Sure. So Mark Z. Danieluski is definitely one of my favorite authors. Um, he writes a lot about the difference between physical spaces and the spaces in our minds or the spaces that we create when we use language to talk about other things. Uh, and he also writes a lot about how we use language to translate from the ideas in our brains to language and then the idea in someone else's brain. And when he talks about, uh, you know, the limits of your stride, a lot of times he's, you know, he's being a little, uh, a little cute about what he's trying to express there. Um, but in this case, you know, he's basically just trying to say, uh, don't don't draw yourself into a box with what you can physically accomplish or what you believe you can accomplish. Um, that there are a lot of things that influence where your future ends up besides what you have influence over. Uh, and I think that's just really important for everybody to keep in mind is that you know you can only influence so much about where your future lands, uh, and mm-hmm. that that may seem a little antithetical to what we're talking about today, where we're talking about how important it is for you personally to have control over your password. Right. Um, but that's the other half of the security question, right, is there's what you can do, and then there's what you really can't control. You know, you're kind of always trying to prepare for the worst-case scenario. I just think that's a really important perspective to keep in mind is, you know, shoring up what you can with security sure. versus, you know, just trying to uh, trying to make sure you're prepared against what you uh, what you can't see coming. Thank you very much, all. Great quotes. I appreciate that. I'm going to introduce a, a dirty word. It's got eight letters. No, it's not one of those dirty words. It's mnemonic. And I had to look it up because I, I didn't remember exactly what it meant. A device such as a pattern of letters, ideas, or associations that assists in remembering something. Aha. And I'm wondering, let me just go quickly around the table before we get to your predictions from all of you. How many of you recommend mnemonics for people to actually be able to remember? And we ta- I talked in the beginning about we have, on average, what is in the U.S., uh, an email address associated with 130 accounts. People have so many accounts that are passworded, they don't even keep track of them anymore. So just quickly go around the table. Do you recommend a mnemonic that's a secret mnemonic you don't tell anybody about? Matt, talk to me. What do you recommend for password hygiene? Yeah, so, I mean, mnemonics are great, especially if it works for you, right? I, I know mnemonics is not, you know, the answer for everybody to remember their complex password, but if it works for you, great. You know, one of the other things that I'd recommend, which I find is maybe a little more attainable for people, is to just come up with some sort of phrase and just have the actual phrase be the password, right? So, so in modern systems and platforms, mm. we don't have these, you know, length limits for passwords as we used to, right? Because everyone's striving to get complex and secure and and good, strong passwords. It's very rare to come to a service that says, you know, your password needs to be at least six characters long, but no more than 12, right? So you can have a a whole sentence with a mixing of upper and lowercase, you know, be the actual password, and then tack, you know, some uh, numbers or symbols on at the end of that to to make it really secure. And, And that, if that system works for you, which I think typically it does work for most people more than the mnemonic does, is is wonderful as well. Thank you. That's great advice. I'll tell you a secret that somebody told me about mnemonics for passwords when we go around the table. Eric Crone, thoughts about a mnemonic? Is something you recommend? Yeah, I kind of have to agree uh, with the previous statements there. Um, Mm -hmm. I I tend to lean more towards uh, password phrases. However, 
Um, I want to caveat that because the problem with password phrases is people get in a mentality where they keep reusing the same phrase and and maybe add a little something different at the end here and there. But guilty, uh, we have to be careful with that. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, well, we have to be careful with that because yeah. if we you know if we have our little phrase, which is you know, let's just say for example for Amazon, your uh, your phrase is "I love shopping at Amazon." Okay, mm-hmm. and then you use "I love shopping at." Sears or I love okay. walk, I mean, shopping right. at Walmart for those, right. we end up with those in a pattern like that where yes. actually if you get one of those, you can start guessing other ones in other places. And so that's something to be careful about Got it. with those. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further off here and I'm going to say what I recommend people do, uh, frankly, is using password managers. These are um, mm-hmm. software typically that are designed to generate completely unique random passwords. And I can tell you under threat of death, I probably could not tell you what two-thirds of my passwords are um, because they've been <laughs> manually generated by this machine and then they're ah. stored securely. So that's actually my preference uh, and mostly because we have to track so many passwords yes. these days. You talked about average person having 130 different passwords. There's no way we're going to keep that straight in our heads. So I, I even prefer to go kind of off uh, off what we were talking about there and go more with those password managers. Thank you. Glad for introducing that, Eric. Appreciate it. Mike DePama, where do you sit on this mnemonics versus password managers? Maybe it isn't a, an either or. What do you? What's your point of view on password health? We will get to the predictions right after this. Go ahead, Mike. After Alex. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's an either or. Um, you know. I- when I, I think the standard is something similar uh, that was discussed, you know, four random words uh, that might not be tied together. You do see those, you know, I shot at Walmart type things. Um, but it really comes down at a personal level to what is easy for you to remember. People's minds work differently, right? So some people in the mnemonics might work really well. Regardless of that, I think password management is fantastic. Uh, and I think that is going to be, I mean, it wasn't one of my predictions, but as you start going mm-hmm. forward, I think that's going to not only become the norm, but potentially become requirements, uh, regulatory requirements as we move forward. But, uh, yeah, I think it's, it, it's an individual thing. Whatever's easier for you to remember, just don't make it basic. Don't make it repetitive. Um, that's very critical. Thank you very much. Alex Reed, talk to me. What do you think? Which side of that are fence are you on or you welcome them all? Sure. Yeah, I know. Personally, I I lean towards the password manager side as well. Uh, that's definitely I could I couldn't tell you hardly any of my passwords. I know the password to get into my password manager, and that's pretty much it. Um, so that that's where I personally lean. I've also always had a lot of trouble remembering passwords, so that was just kind of a two for one for me. But if if it works, you know, whatever whatever works to help you remember your password, I think is fine. You know, it's all inside your brain anyway, so it's not a security risk to use a mnemonic versus just remembering the password, versus you know some other mental trick to keep it on the keep to keep it fresh in your brain. Um, but I would definitely agree that that password managers being a more secure and future proof solution are probably going to become more prevalent, just as a way of remembering all your different passwords. I like the way you said future-proof. I'm going to go around the table one time and ask you for your favorite password manager. We're not promoting any particular service, but I'm curious. Let's just quickly go around. If you use one, Matt Becker, do you use a password manager, and what's your favorite service? Uh, For sure. So uh, LastPass is um, the password manager that I have used for a very long time, as well used day-to-day here um, at at work. And, you know, just to be clear, my... my, um, you know, idea about the password phrase, it's very much to make it so that you can remember a long and complex master password, if you will, to then get into your password vault. Like, I, I, I'm in the same boat here, guys. I couldn't tell you what 90% of my passwords are because they're all auto-generated and stored as a password manager. So, Interesting. Eric Krohn, favorite password manager company or service? That is the same one I use as LastPass. I love the, the things that they do around that and the ability to use um, something called a YubiKey or multi-factor authentication to help secure the password vault as well. So I've been using LastPass for a number of years. Um, my wife, who's not technical at all, uses LastPass, and my 17-year-old daughter uses LastPass as well. So uh, I've managed to get them all able to do it, and uh, we just uh, it, it works very well for us. 
Congratulations. You got the family plan. I appreciate that. Mike DePalma, <laughs> what do you recommend or what do you use? Uh, there's a company called Passportal um, that we use, and, and I, I think very highly of them. Um, it's actually through what's kind of called the managed services uh, channel. Um, but, yeah, they're a great product. They've been around a long time. It was actually created by someone who started out as an in-house IT guy, moved into outsourced IT, saw that this was an issue that was really, you know, kind of rampant, and that's where this kind of was born. And so uh, Passportal uh, is one to, to definitely check out. Thank you. Putting in my notes because I don't use one yet. Alex Reed, you have a recommendation or a preference? Definitely. I use KeePass myself um, because it's very free, and I can manage the, the replication of the uh, actual database itself. I can download the whole database file. I just use Dropbox to sync it between devices. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit more of a DIY solution. It's not kind of a holistic thing like LastPass. Uh, but I have more control over it, and again, I'm very you know, distrustful of anyone managing my security stuff. So also, the KeePass works with my phone and and YubiKey, the physical key as well. So it has all the features that I want, and uh, it's it's self managed, which I prefer. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Didn't expect to have me ask you that, but we're flexible and fluid here on Technology Revolution, the future of now. I'm going to pick one prediction from each of you, go around the table, ask you to to just expand it, tell me a little more in about 60 seconds, and let's see how many of these predictions we can cover. Not exactly a lightning round, and I'm not timing you, but let's see if we can keep it moving. Matt Beckert sent me four predictions. I'm looking at number three. Hackers. Well, there's that word. We'll shape the way everything is done in connected spaces. Can you build that out for me, please, Matt? Sure. I mean, the, the whole idea around a hacker is somebody who, you know, takes a, a system or a platform or a technology and tries to figure out how to make it do what it's not designed to do, right? So when we're talking about connected spaces and we're talking about future technology and just, you know, continuously being more and more connected and reliant on technology, Somebody that is interested in trying to see how they can make these technologies and platforms do what they're not designed to do is is 100% going to shape the way that these technologies and connected spaces are actually implemented and updated and, you know, what features are put in place, right? So so the, the, the just the nature of what a hacker is really identifies to the people that are, you know, developing, maintaining, supporting these types of platforms or connected spaces, they're, they're saying, oh, yeah, look, it was never intended to do this. It was determined that it can do this, and that's a giant problem. We need to fix this, right? And some mm-hmm. of the things that, you know, hackers have kind of forced upon us, if you will, as becoming good standard practice, two-factor authentication, right? So I heard some of the the other um, participants mentioned the YubiKey. That, that's a type mm-hmm. of you know, two-factor authentication. We have a physical key that is also paired with a, a password that you put in, and if you have both of those things, then you can gain access, right? So having those kinds of extra hurdles, if you will, to be able to access systems prevents it from you know, being more accessible and exploitable from someone like a hacker. Thank you very much. Good information. I'm going to move to Eric Crone. Number two, Eric, the prediction you say, quantum computing will break our traditional ways of protecting modern passwords. Tell me more, Eric. Yeah, I'm not surprised you picked that one. Um, <laughs> that is <laughs> a pretty hot topic these days. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the quantum computing thing is, is, is an overused term in a lot of cases, and uh, we, we've seen that over and over again. But quantum computing is a real thing. Um, my colleague, Roger Grimes, uh, he just wrote a book on this and how it's going to uh, change some things in how this works. And traditionally, we protect passwords in systems through our, our cryptography uh, that we use today. And I don't want to get too technical about this, mm-hmm. but it basically encrypts these passwords. And the thing about quantum computing is we are making these leaps forward, and it won't be too long until quantum computing is going to break the encryption that protects the passwords and keeps them so that, uh, let's say, an organization does suffer a data breach and their database is dumped, your password is not what you would, you know, it's not in the clear. It's not your real password. It's an encrypted version of it. Right now, that means your password is still secure. However, quantum computing can crack these sorts of things very, very quickly the way that it does the math 
on our modern and current um, encryption schemes. And so this is still something that's a, a couple of years out before we're going to see anything, I think, major. Um, however, it is going to change the way that we have to protect modern passwords um, when it comes to uh, organizations that collect this or websites that collect this. So... Thank you, Eric. I, I'm just going to chime in here with a definition of quantum computing. We hear it all the time, and I think most of us don't really know what it is. Sounds very important. A quantum computer is any device for computation that makes direct use of distinctly quantum mechanical phenomena, phenomena such as superposition and entanglement to perform operations on data. That, what do you think? Is that close enough for, uh, for general purposes, Eric? Yeah, I think that's about as clear as it gets, which is still not very clear at all. For the listeners, um, I sit next to a guy again that wrote a book on quantum computing, and I Thank still you. look at him and my eyes blaze over. So, Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> oh, that was really appreciated. Great, great comeback there, Eric. Thank you. Mike DePama, I have prediction number two from you. This is interesting. Facial recognition will be the norm. I want you to talk about that for a minute, and then I have a couple questions about wearing glasses versus contacts and makeup and hairdos and what will change expressions and moods and personas. Mike, talk to me. Facial recognition will be the norm. What? What is this about? Yeah, so it's still somewhat in its infancy right now, and you see it, Mm -hmm. obviously, with your cell phones and some of those type of things. Um, I think the quantum computing issue, which is obviously coming, uh, and its ability to kind of crack every single code, including encryption, which is extremely scary, is going to mean that we're going to have to shift to something. And although it's not an exact science right now in terms of safety, it is still safer than a traditional password. Um, And so obviously there's still some studies being done, but I think as we shift to that, yeah, I think that's going to start to become the norm, and we shift to the type of devices that we use, right? I mean, every laptop's got a camera on it. It doesn't seem like it's something that's too far away. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I think the shift is going to be. I think uh, at at the immediacy, I think it's going to be you know, safer than what we're doing now. Uh, it also re- reduced some of that user error that we've been talking about, about people being lazy and fight fitting into the same codes that can be mm-hmm. hacked in six seconds. Um, so I think that we're going to see a shift towards that. Not that it's going to end all of these threats, but I think it is going to be something that we're going to shift towards. Thank you. And Mike, my, my question, I know I'm going to raise it again. Uh, the question is, you take your, for example, on your iPhone, I have the iPhone 11 Pro Max, and you do the facial recognition when you set it up and you tilt your head to the right and the left and it's in the circle and it captures it. That's all great. But what if it asks for facial recognition to sign in to your phone and you're tired that day or you're wearing glasses or you've changed your hair color or you have color contacts in and your eyes are a different color? Can it get around that? How, how permissive is is it or how lax is it? Just a quick comment from you, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, I think it goes back to it being an infancy. That is an issue, um, as opposed to a, a fingerprint, which doesn't change. Your face uh, can change uh, for various yes. reasons, like you mentioned. So I think that they will start to perfect that science. I, don't, I mean, I'm not behind the, 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 the process there, but I do think there's some limitations to that, and that's a very good point. At this point, I do think it will evolve. Thank you very much. Hope so. Alex Reed, I'm looking at number four prediction from you. Zero trust security architectures are the way of the future. Please explain. What is this, Alex? Sure. So when we're talking about passwords, it's important to also talk about the way that those passwords give you access to an environment. Just because you know your password becomes compromised, as it stands in a lot of architectures, one one compromised password is enough to give an attacker access to a very large uh, swath of a uh, company's infrastructure. You know, there's this kind of concept where you're either outside of the gate or you're inside of the gate, and the key to get through that gate is your password. And once you're inside of the gate, you have access to everything that you need. Uh, Zero Trust kind of turns that on its head by saying, okay, now every time you do anything, you have to get through another gate. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't trust anything outside or inside the gate. So it kind of uh, neutralizes the problem of having a password be compromised. Obviously, a password compromise is still a problem, no matter you know what the what the architecture is. But zero trust kind of patches over that by enabling companies to segment off parts of their infrastructure from each other, 
Uh, they call that micro-segmentation uh, by drilling down very deep and, and uh, walling off parts of their infrastructure from one another. So uh, the zero, that's where the, the name zero trust comes mm-hmm. from. You don't trust anything outside or inside uh, the, the bounds of your, of your infrastructure. And the reason that I, I think it's the future is it's just a much more robust security model. It allows uh, companies to build around, uh, you know, incident responses and, and security responses to, to breaches uh, without having to compromise their entire internal or, or their, everything inside of the gate. Uh, it, it lets them build an architecture that's, that's much more uh, tolerant to, to attacks and much more tolerant to breaches. Because uh, you know, when you talk about security, the number one thing you always remember is that breaches are going to happen pretty mm-hmm. much no matter how tight your security is. If someone right. wants to get in, they're going to get in. So Zero Trust kind of revolves around making sure if someone gets in, they're still not trusted to get into any other part of the uh, architecture. So that's the reason I think it's the, uh, it's the way of the future is as we continue to uh, evaluate the impact of, of security breaches, you know, I think more companies are going to see that it's a real problem that needs to be addressed from a fundamental level, and that's what Zero Trust does. Thank you very much, Alex. Very interesting. That was a unique pr- prediction. Matt, I'm looking at your predictions, and I, I like number two here, but you need to tell me what it has to do with our topic. Hiring challenges will grow, and the adoption of AI in bots will keep pace. How does this have to do with passwords of the future? Yeah, so I, I can definitely tie them together. Um, okay. You know, so, so AI is, is not going anywhere, right? AI will just keep getting better and better, and you know, AI will replace a lot of you know, more simpler, more repetitive jobs, if you will, in the, in the you know, information space here. Um, hiring has always been a problem, right? Finding a qualified applicant or candidate to do the work that they need to do and do it well is always a problem, right? It's, it's one of those things where, you know, oftentimes you're focusing on soft skills and trying to make sure to find the right person, and then, you know, giving them those, those hard day-to-day skills or technology skills to be able to, you know, accomplish what it is that you need them to do. The, the tie-in to security and passwords really comes around those soft skills, right? We need to be sure that, you know, on the, on the checklist of soft skills of applicants is, is kind of, a, you know, a security literacy, right? Understanding what good password is and, and what is or isn't, you know, okay from just a general password perspective, right? If, if you have to teach those things to every single one of your employees over and over and over again, there's a lot of overhead there, right? And, and mm-hmm. we live in such a connected and digital life that, that these are skills that people should be learning in school as they're growing up, as they're, yes. you know, going through middle school and high school and college. They should be learning how to, you know, have good strong passwords, how to keep their digital identities and digital information safe. And that really kind of needs to be one of those skill sets that is almost mandatory for when you're trying to hire somebody to fit into your organization to be able to get them to have, you know, your company be successful in the long run. Interesting. Thank you, Matt. I like that one. Thanks for explaining. I'm moving on to Eric Crone here. Eric, I have a very ominous prediction from you, number three. You say, everybody listen up. Eric Crone says, there will be a major biometrics breach near the middle of this decade that will make us rethink using biometrics as an authenticator. Speak, Mr. Crone, please. Uh, Yes. So... (laughs) Um, I think biometrics are decent. And so biometrics are fingerprints. Um, they are the facial recognition stuff we've already talked about. I, I think they're great as an identifier. And there's a distinct difference between an identifier and an authenticator, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is going to end up happening is we have all of these now, these devices and things collecting this information, Okay. Uh, we have, like you said, your phone does it. Um, if you mm-hmm. boarded some international flights lately, uh, there's some of the airlines that are now doing facial recognition as you go to board the plane, and that's all you need to get on the plane, right? Really? Um, we're seeing the fingerprint scanners in businesses and offices all over the place. Uh, it is collecting all of this data. I believe that we're going to end up seeing something pretty major where this data ends up getting leaked. 
Now, here's my problem with mm. biometrics um, compared to especially a password in general. How do you change your fingerprint when that information is leaked? How do you Duh. change the Duh. orientation of your face and distance <laughs> between your pupils and all of that? You can't change yep. those like you can a password. Mm-hmm. So when I say I think it's a better identifier than an authenticator, what I mean is I can see biometrics taking the place of, say, your username when you go in to log into something, but not necessarily the password part, which is your authenticator piece. And I really do think that all of this data being collected, ultimately, it ends up being ones and zeros. If we think about this, this is a computer world. It ends up being ones and zeros on a hard disk somewhere. And I believe that's going to get leaked, and I believe it's going to really open people's eyes to the fact that that is really hard to then go back and Fix. Thank you, Eric. You're making me think of I'm I'm right now in the process of binge watching four seasons of Nikita with Maggie Q from way back in the day, and it's fascinating. But I believe there was a, a case. It's a black ops group, government funded in the U.S. that uh, trains takes kids from prisons and drug rehab and it gives them a new identity and trains them to be assassins. Let's just leave it at that. But I remember an episode where they needed to get somebody's fingerprint. And I think not just they gave them a a glass, but they did something to lift the fingerprint off of something and put it onto somebody else's finger seamlessly. And they were able to use that biometric to get into a room in a secure facility. Fascinating. I'm just going to give another definition. Eric, you keep making me define stuff here on the show. So there you go. (laughs) Biometrics is the technical term for body measurements and calculations. It refers to metrics related to human characteristics. Biometrics authentication or realistic authentication is used in computer science as a form of identification and access control. Thank you, Mr. Crone. Mike DePalma, I'm moving on because we're running out of time here. I'm looking at number one in your prediction list. You say single sign-on will become mandatory for all organizations. Can you just spend about 60 seconds telling us what's new with single sign-on? Is it past its time or is it just coming into its time? Uh, I think it, well, I don't think it's just coming into its time. I think it's already somewhat becoming the norm, especially for larger corporations. Um, and the bottom line is this. Every company, even individual, think of all the different applications that you use on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we looked it up in data. We use 72 uh, on a daily basis here. So we have a single sign-on and allows you just to have that one sign-on to give you uh, one set of credentials to get access to that. Um, we are seeing some regulatory compliance start tying around that, uh, which is one of the reasons why I think it's going to be uh, really become mandatory. Um, what these government uh, kind of regulations are trying to do, they're not really helping to catch any of these criminals or even prevent them from getting in as much as they are really shifting the burden over to the businesses to say it's your job to protect your data and your employees' data and your, uh, you know, your clients' data, and this will be just another kind of checkbox, in my opinion, that you that you're going to need to do. Again, not an end all be all, but I do think mm-hmm. that's going to be something that will will definitely be the norm, if not a requirement from from the government. Thank you very much. Alex Reed, I'm going to pick one more of your predictions before we start to wrap up here. Um, I like this one. The idea most people have of passwords is not sufficiently secure. So this implies to me, Alex, you're thinking in the future, what would we do about that education or re-education or holding up the mirror and saying, hey, Bob Jones and hey, Mary Smith, you're looking for trouble. Your passwords are, as I used in the in the title of the show, pathetic. So Alex, why don't you give us a quick overview? What would you do to change the impression, the perception that it is important. Alex? Right. That's exactly where I was going with that prediction, yeah, is that, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you ask the normal computer user what, what their password is or what their password does for them, they, they generally don't have a good understanding, even of, of, you know, like one of the previous callers was saying, it's, it's stored as ones and zeros. I don't think that most people even have that, that deep of an understanding of how the password is stored or what it does. Um, most people just think of their password as, you know, a word or a phrase or just some, some gibberish they type into their terminal to get to what they need to do to actually do their work. A sort of like two-factor authentication is, for most people, just another button they have to press to get to the server to do their work. Um, so I think that training and security education is going to be very critical over the next five to ten years and, and going on from there. Uh, just to, to re-cement in people's minds what a password is, why we use passwords, mm-hmm. and just kind of the goal of, of security architecture like that. 
Uh, I think that, that the idea of passwords as just a, a thing that you use to access your work is is one of the reasons why phishing breaches are so common is people don't think of their password as, as the key uh, or even as, you know, a, just a string that gets compared to another string in order to uh, authenticate them. They don't they don't have that authentication framework in their in their mind when they use their password. They just yep. they're just trying to type the thing in that they need to do to get to their to their uh, to their server. So there yeah, I go. think that education is going to be uh, is going to need to be a primary focus of refining our security model to uh, improve resilience to attacks for sure. Thank you. That's where I thought you were going, and I appreciate that. Gentlemen, I am so impressed with all four of you, and a big shout-out to Dawn McGinnis for helping to set this up. Dawn, you did great. Keep bringing me guests. I have a question for all of you. Um, Will we be any safer by 2025 with what we're talking about, uh, zero-trust security architectures, with decent passphrases, with multi-factor authentication, with more education for people, with using password management? Is it going to get any better, or are the bad actors catching up and going to surpass us with their own brand of intelligence? I'll just use that word very loosely here. Let's just quickly go around the table. Will it get better by 2025? Yes or no? That's all we have time for. Matt Beckert at NPI, what do you think? Uh, yes. Oh, I like that. Surprised. Eric Crone at no before. I am cautiously optimistic. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't su- have you? Do you have your own radio show by any chance, Eric? You've got a, a voice that's <laughs> made in radio heaven. I love everybody else's voices, but Eric, there's something about your voice. Do you do radio? No? I don't, but thank you. Oh, well, thank you. There's a resonance. You could be an opera singer, too. Mike DePama, will it be better by 2025, yes or no? As a glass half full kind of guy, I will say yes. I think we'll at least keep pace with what these criminals are doing. Ooh, I like that. And Alex Reed, what do you see going forward, yes or no? Is it going to get better or worse? No, it's going to get worse. I was waiting for one outlier, one dissident to say no. I appreciate that. I think I'm in the same in the same boat with Alex Reed. I think it's going to be. I think we're going to be more challenged. But I love the optimism of the other three panelists. I'm going to be in touch with the four of you. I'd like to invite you back for a slightly different version of this topic. I want to do a show about hackers. Who are they? Where are they? What are they training? If you're interested, uh, answer my email. I'll email you later today. I'd love to do a a show about hacking for good, for bad, or for ugly and any other purpose. So I just want to say thank you again. Dawn McGinnis, you really outdid yourself. Wonderful panelists. Ryan Treasure, my co-producer and the voice of now, now, now in the intro that always gives me goosebumps. Aaron Keller, my engineer with nerves of steel. And thank you again to Matt Beckert at NPI. Wonderful, Matt. Thank you so much. Eric Crone at No Before, K-N-O-W-B-E. The number four, terrific Mike DePama at Datto, brilliant. You're all brilliant. And Alex Reed at Green Cloud Technologies. I can't thank the four of you enough for being so articulate and fluid with me and flexible. We never know where the show's going to go, but here we are. So if I say the future of now, that pause was the future of now, and now it's in the past because the future, they, people say, the future is already here. That was yesterday's future. We haven't done ours today yet. So thank you all for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and remember, the future of now, it didn't happen yet. You're an important part of making it the best. Signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh